Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts 16, verse 35, through Acts 17, verse 10. In our last teaching, Paul and Silas had been placed in prison in Philippi. However, God intervened through an earthquake, and not only were these two faithful servants released from prison, but the Philippian jailer and his family were released from sin and death through the saving grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's now turn to our Bible to read what followed next, beginning with verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officer, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul and Silas had been cruelly beaten and flogged based on false charges, and an establishment that reacted to a frenzied mob without asking questions or engaging in any investigation whatsoever. Yet, in spite of this unfair and unlawful treatment, Paul and Silas chose to fix their eyes on Jesus and the faithfulness of God. And to the amazement and comfort of the other prisoners, the apostles began to pray and to sing praises to God. As we learned in our last session, when the earthquake hit, the prison doors were opened and the prisoners' chains fell off. Paul prevented the jailer from committing suicide and in a powerful encounter with the living God, the jailer was wonderfully saved. He brought Paul and Silas into his home, fed them, and treated their wounds. Then they spent the night talking about Jesus. As the Bible teaches, what man meant for evil, God used for good. Now when morning had come, the magistrates of the city had had time to think about what had taken place and they realized that they had probably been a little bit too hasty in their condemnation of these two men. So they sent instructions to the prison officials to have them released. However, this time, Paul took a stand. He related to the messengers that both he and Silas were Roman citizens by birth. And therefore, what had just taken place was illegal on every level. Dr. John Stott explains, Now a grave injustice had been done to them, 
For according to the text of the Lex Julia, the Roman citizen might not be beaten or bound by a magistrate or by any other person in any circumstance, let alone untried and uncondemned. The citizen had only to say, Civis Romanus sum, and he would be immune to punishment. Heavy penalties were prescribed for those who violated these citizenship privileges. So Paul replied to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? Push us out on the quiet? Or smuggle us out privately? No! Let them come themselves in person and escort us out. This was an unusual thing that Paul did. We rarely see him take such a stand on his own behalf, so why would he do it this time? The church in Philippi that met in Lydia's house was new. By presenting this challenge, basically creating fear in the magistrates' minds, assured that they would not trouble this new church, thereby providing them a a measure of freedom for a while as they began to grow in their faith and in their new life in Christ. Basically, Paul made this announcement in order to protect this new body of believers. When Paul and Silas were released from prison, the Bible says that they went back to Lydia's house and continued to minister to them, encourage them, and teach them before leaving town. Later, Paul would write a letter to this church to encourage them as they continued to faithfully follow Jesus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy left Philippi. It seems that Luke stayed behind for a while, and he will rejoin the group a few years later, and we will read about him again in chapter 20. But in the meantime, these three evangelists traveled about 100 miles to the city of Thessalonica, which is now the modern city of Salonica. Warren Wearsby helps us to understand why this was such an important city for Paul to bring the gospel to. He writes, Paul knew that Thessalonica, our modern Salonica, was a strategic city for the work of the Lord. Not only was it the capital of Macedonia, but it was also a center for business, rivaled only by Corinth. It was located on several important trade routes, and it boasted an excellent harbor. The city was predominantly Greek, even though it was controlled by Rome. Thessalonica was a free city, which meant that It had an elected citizen's assembly, it could mint its own coins, and it had no Roman garrison within its walls. Additionally, Thessalonica was one of the wealthiest and most flourishing trade centers in the Roman Empire. This would make it a strategic city as a hub for getting the gospel message sent through the different trade routes throughout the known world. So let's turn to the Bible to learn more about their stay there. Chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. 
Now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled this crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. We know from 1 Thessalonians 2.9 that Paul did his tent-making work in Thessalonica to support himself, Silas, and Timothy. But on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue of the Jews. There he taught the people gathered, and he began to open up to them Old Testament passages that prophesied about the coming of the Messiah explaining expertly how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies in his life, death, and resurrection. For three weeks he explained and taught them, demonstrating that the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Paul then stated his final conclusion. He said, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Jesus is the promised Messiah. I like the observation that Warren Wiersbe makes here. He writes, Paul was careful to announce or preach the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the message of the gospel. In the sermons in Acts, you will find an emphasis on the resurrection, for the believers were called to be witnesses of his resurrection. Christianity is, in its very essence, a resurrection religion, says Dr. John R. W. Stott. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. It is beautiful to read about how these people in Thessalonica responded to this gospel message. The Bible says that many of those who had been listening to Paul for three weeks were persuaded to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Among those who believed were some of the Jews, a large number of Greeks or Gentiles, and many of the leading women in the city. One commentator adds this interesting observation. 
He writes, In Thessalonica, however, a third group responded. Not a few prominent women, Bible says. The Greek word for prominent, proton, means first, chief, or most important. These were influential women in the upper class. Joining Paul and Silas means that they had come to faith, had been baptized, and were actively participating in whatever aspects of discipleship and instruction were available. We don't know exactly how long Paul was able to stay in Thessalonica, but we do know that he was there long enough to work at his trade, win converts, instruct new believers in the Christian life, and form a strong bond of love with these believers. We also learn in the book of Philippians that he was there long enough to receive financial help from the church in Philippi more than once. Let's pause and read that now. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Yes, there was great joy and encouragement for Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they continued to share and teach about Jesus, opening up the scriptures to this primarily Gentile congregation. There's no greater joy than to see someone born again, a life that has been saved through the life-changing gospel message of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we might be forgiven and forever reconciled to God as his dear children. As the Bible so clearly says, John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the more that Paul taught, the more people in that key city became followers of Jesus Christ. And as the church began to grow, the Jews who had rejected the message became envious of the great following that the apostles were enjoying. Their envy began to consume them, taking control over their lives. As a result, they sought out wicked people who frequented the marketplace and had them stir up a crowd, a mob of bitter, angry people. As the angry mob rushed to where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were staying, they could not find them. So instead, they grabbed the homeowner, Jason, and other believers who were there with him and dragged them to the rulers of the city. 
The charges they shouted out were these. These have come to turn the world upside down, have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Well, as is so common with the work of Satan, there was some truth mixed in with a lie. It is true that Paul... Silas and Timothy and so many others were turning the world upside down with the gospel message. However, if you think about it, the world was already upside down because of sin. It is the truth about Jesus Christ, the work he did on the cross and the empty tomb that turns the world right side up again. And it was also true that they were staying with Jason. As his house had become the meeting place of all of the new believers. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were his guests, just like with Lydia in the city of Philippi. But harboring? No. This was common knowledge to all those who came to listen to their teaching. But the last charge, that they were all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that There is another king, Jesus. Well, that is something else again. Once again, we we turn to the commentary to provide us with a greater understanding into this accusation. It says that the Jewish leaders had difficulty manufacturing an accusation that would be heard by the city government. The Romans did not care about theological disagreements between Jews and these preachers. Treason, however, was a serious offense in the Roman Empire. Although Paul and Silas were not advocating rebellion against Roman law, their loyalty to another king sounded suspicious. However, this king, Jesus, was no ordinary king. Nor was he any threat to the Roman Empire or to Caesar. He made this abundantly clear when he stood before Pilate, and answered that very question. John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37, records the conversation. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus was no threat to Caesar nor the Roman Empire as it existed as a world government. Jesus was about souls, individuals in need of forgiveness and reconciliation back to God who had created them in his own image. 
However, the magistrates would not listen to reason, but rather listen to the voice of the mob. They insisted that Jason pay a fine, and then they let him go. But things had become too dangerous for Paul and Silas to remain. So Jason and the members of this new church body sent Paul and Silas away under the cover of darkness. However, Timothy stayed behind to continue to teach and instruct these new believers the word of God and about Jesus Christ. So from there, Paul and Silas traveled again, this time about 45 miles to an important city called Berea. We will talk about its significance in our next teaching, but for now, let us consider some of the greater results that came from Paul's time in Thessalonica. In Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica, we are able to understand a little bit more clearly about Paul's ministry there and the relationship he enjoyed with these dear people. For example, in chapter 2, Paul briefly references his departure from Philippi. He writes, beginning with verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God, in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. Clearly, his experiences in Philippi made a deep impact on Paul. And therefore, he was careful how he approached the ministry in the city of Thessalonica. Therefore, he continued his remembrances of his time there in chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. 
I would encourage you to read the books of First and Second Thessalonians. As they were written while Paul was in Corinth, as you will learn from Thessalonica, Paul and Silas would journey to Berea and then to Athens. His next stop will be Corinth, and Timothy will come to them there with a good report from the church in Thessalonica. And being familiar with the account in Acts will help to bring a deeper understanding into the message and the purpose of these two letters to the church there that Paul wrote as he looked back on his ministry there and thought about the people and and answered their questions and ministered to them encouragement and comfort. Well, let me close with Paul's greeting to the Thessalonians, which is one of my favorite passages as well. It, it reads this way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2-6 through 6. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so it is also my prayer for you, dear friend, that God will bless your work of faith your labor of love and your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus as you continue to faithfully follow him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these faithful servants of yours who with joy persevered, pressed on, were faithful to the upper call of God faithful to the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, faithful to give their lives in serving you and serving your people. I pray, O God, that we would listen closely, following their example, gaining greater knowledge into the testimony of Jesus, that we might become bolder as your witnesses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, be blessed, my friend. May the power of the gospel fill you with joy, strength, and peace. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.